for you. You are a firefighter. You're in the station. You're sleeping. And it's a cold January night around 2 in the morning when all of a sudden the alarm goes off. And you jump up. It says structure fire. And you run to the to the truck and you jump in, get your gear on, and you get to the call. And it's for a multi-story apartment fire. Now, the unit that you are assigned to is called a squad. Now, there's something special about this squad because they are specifically trained in some areas. And one of those is as a rapid intervention team. Now, most of the time, some firefighters would call them lawn gnomes because they're just standing around with their equipment watching as everybody else works the fire and they don't do anything. And then once everything is cleaned up or the fire is knocked down, they're usually sent back to the station. But again, as you picture this, you're standing with all your equipment in your gear and all of a sudden you hear the radio key up and you hear the words that every firefighter hates to hear. You hear mayday, mayday, mayday. I am on the second floor. This is firefighter Smith of engine 21. I'm lost and I'm trapped. A wall has collapsed and I am trapped. Mayday, mayday, mayday. Now the panic sets in, but your adrenaline is kicking. The chief looks at you and says, squad, go in. So what does a RIT team, as we call it, the rapid intervention team. So what does this RIT team have to do with the Bible? Well, I'm going to show you what a miracle by Jesus and this scenario has in common on episode 10 of the 318 Project. This is the 318 Project, a guide to equip men through godly principles and develop as husbands, fathers, and sons. And now, your host, Ryan Hare. Hello, and welcome to the 318 Project. And I'm glad you could join me today on this episode. So, I gave you a scenario. And here's the thing I want to ask you. Do you have a RIT team? Or are you on a RIT team? And I'm going to go more into about this rapid intervention team. And what its purpose is. And how this relates with a story of a miracle Jesus did in the Bible. The story I'm going to talk about is in Mark chapter 2, and it's in verses 1 through 5. And it says, And again he, Jesus, entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, this story or event is also mentioned in two other places. It's mentioned in Matthew 9, verses 1 through 8, and also in Luke 5, verses 17 through 26. And these are some of those few 
stories that we see in the Bible that is mentioned in multiple books. But now here's the beauty of this that we're going to see and I'm going to talk about is we see the scenario of here Jesus is crowded. He's in this house and there's no way to get to him. And yet there's this paralytic man and everywhere you go, there was just no way to get to him. So his friends decided to go to the roof. Now to describe a, a house in biblical times is much different than a common house we see today. There were no really pitched roofs. Um, there was no shingles, no trusses or the frames. This was mostly built with mud and clay and blocks in, in that form. And they were flat roofs. So they were a lot of times people would could go to the roof. You know, they would have a stairway on the side of the house that would go up to the, the top of a house, which was usually a flat that was a lot of times just covered over with some slight clay, uh, but mostly with, with tree limbs and, and palms and things like that. So it was to protect them, but it was still enough that they could break through it and tear through it and cut it. As we see these four men, what they did. And, and so they had this compassion. Now, here is the beauty of it, because Jesus had this compassion he always had compassion. People were coming to him to be healed for, for family members, uh, their children, whoever it was to be healed. But here we see four friends that went above and beyond because maybe their friend's faith, he had got to that point that he had given up. He had probably just said, you know, I've been paralyzed most of my life. There's nothing going to change. I'm just, I'm just going to be paralyzed and lay on this bed for the rest of my life. But yet here are four friends that had compassion and said, you know what? Jesus is here. We've heard and probably seen some of the miracles that he's done. Why can't he do that for our friend? And so they went and picked him up. He may have even resisted at first of leave me alone. I don't want to go. But here was this faith of four brothers or friends that picked up this bed and carried him to Jesus. And when they get there, there's this crowd and they're like, how do we get to him? And they probably looked around and somebody saw the, the corner of the house and said, hey, let's go up to the roof. And so can you imagine all of a sudden if you were Jesus or in that room with Jesus and you all of a sudden see part of the house, the, the dirt and limbs and different things maybe falling to the floor right where you're sitting and you look up and all of a sudden you see this hole in the roof and then you see four guys with their heads sticking through. Like, yep, that's good enough. And then they start lowering this guy on a bed down in front of Jesus. Probably some of us would have been like, how dare you interrupt us or interrupt Jesus? Or if it was you as the speaker going, how dare you interrupt me? I'm talking to these people. They're, you know, they're paying attention to me and you've interrupted. But yet Jesus had compassion. But here's the beauty of it. If you look at verse five again, and, and even in Luke and in Matthew, it says the same thing. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. Now, it wasn't the paralyzed man's faith. It was his friend's faith that Jesus looked at and had compassion on. And that's the beauty of it is that how Jesus even had this compassion for what he saw these friends going above and beyond. And as I was reading this and going through this, I was looking in my Bible and it say, it's a Tyndale Life Application Study Bible. And here was a note that I read on these verses. And it said, it wasn't the paralyzed man's faith that impressed Jesus, but the faith of his friends. Jesus responded to their faith 
and healed the man. For better or worse, our faith affects others. We cannot make another person a Christian, but we can do much through our words, our actions, and the love to give him or her a chance to respond. And we need to look for those opportunities to bring friends to Christ. So what is the purpose of this rapid intervention team? Well, you would think it's to rescue anybody. And for firefighters, that's what your job is, is if somebody is trapped in a house, yes, you're trained to rescue them and hopefully save their life. But the uniqueness about this RIT team is they are specifically trained and they are used in those moments to save one of their own. They train week in and week out, practicing scenarios, ways of tying knots to maybe lower someone out of a window from an upper floor to, to the ground or carrying. Sometimes they may have to drag them down a hallway and down some stairs. They learn to work together as a team to get this fellow downed firefighter out safely. And isn't that what we see here in this story is how these four friends, they've come together as a RIT team, as a rapid intervention team, to help a downed, paralyzed brother. Now, yes, we're looking at this and we see this story of he is a physically paralyzed person. But this even goes further into our faith because there are times in our with our faith that we get off balance. We may be, you may not even be saved and your life is full of sin or things have just not gone the way you've kind of walked away from your close walk with Christ and you've let things enter in and you're not having that close relationship with Christ as you normally do. And so you get off balance. Now here's a story of that being off balance that I can relate to because when I was in fire school training to become a firefighter, to hopefully get hired on by a fire department, one of the things we had to do was we had to train carrying our classmates from a ground ladder, which was 24 feet, which would go to a second floor window. And we would have to position them out of the window and carry them down against the ladder. But we were underneath them holding, kind of pinning them against the ladder to carry them down. Now, the thing is, is you had to have them balanced on your arms as you came down that ladder. Well, for me, one of my classmates was a very tall guy. He was six, seven, six, eight, and I'm around six foot. So a little bit of a height difference here. So as time comes, I'm on the ladder. They position him out onto the ladder for me to carry him down. And he is laying perpendicular to me on the ladder as I'm carrying him. He's he's across the ladder with me pinning him, if you can picture this. So as we're coming down the ladder, he doesn't feel that I have control of him. And I keep telling him, I have you, I have you, just let your arms go. But he would keep grabbing at the ladder. And as he did, he kept shifting his weight over to one arm. And as we were coming down the ladder, I'm like, just stop what you're doing and let me do this. And I have you. But he did not have that confidence in me. And it was to the point that finally when he had kept grabbing at the ladder that he shifted his weight so much that I was, it was putting quite a bit of his weight onto one arm that when I was probably about three steps down from the bottom, my arm started to give out and I had to call one of the instructors, you know, to come up and they were able to get up underneath me and reposition and I brought him down. But again, it's just that point of sometimes how things get out of balance in our lives or we see it in a friend's life or a brother or whoever it may be. 
And that's what we see here. We see these four brothers, these four friends that they saw this friend's life and saw how it was out of balance. He was paralyzed. And yet they were going out of their way to rescue him. Now, I have a dear friend. He's from South Africa, and he's he's over in England right now with his business, with where he works. But he had started a men's movement, men's ministry down in South Africa, in Johannesburg area. And one of the things he always said, and there's others that have said this, but it was part of his men's saying, and, and it was a dear friend, his name's Clinton Etheridge, was, I am my brother's keeper. Now, when we look at this, if you go back to Genesis 4, 9, this is when God is speaking to Cain. And he asked Cain, because he's looking for Abel, he says, Then the Lord said to Cain, and this is in Genesis 4, verse 9, it says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And so here is that part of so many times we see something happening and we see a brother that's facing a dilemma and we say, well, that's none of my business. I don't need to get involved in their life or whatever the reason may be. But as a Christian brother, if we see someone like this, this is when we should say, I am my brother's keeper and reach out. And then there's this other verse. And this is kind of where the premises of, of a lot of what I teach and was instilled in my life is part of Genesis fourteen fourteen, And this is where that 318 comes from. And it says, now when Abram heard that his brother Lot was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house, and they went in pursuit as far as Dan. Now here, Lot had been living in an area, and he was taken captive. He was taken to another area, another town. He was, he was captured. So Abram, Ab- or Abraham, because this was before he became Abraham. So you have Abraham. He realizes this, and he takes these men that he has trained in his home, that he has mentored and discipled and brought up in his home, and they go to rescue Lot. And that's what we see with these four men. They saw a brother in need, and they went to what they had to do to rescuing, to see, hopefully, to see his healing. And that's our need. That's what we are called to do. We are called to rescue our brothers in those time of needs. And there's other scripture that talks about this. Proverbs 18, verse 24 says, A man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Sometimes it's going to take us being that brother that's closer to them, seeing them through a trial in a situation. Even First Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9 says, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, or on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. So sometimes it's not doing something out of what am I going to benefit out of this for me? If I do this, am I going to get a reward? Am I going to get the recognition, the pat on the back, the award? Or are we doing it because we see a brother that is in danger, that is hurting, not just physically, but even that spiritually? Proverbs seventeen seventeen says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born in adversity. It is that time when we see a brother that is going through a difficult time 
that you're there. You may not have the, the specific words to say of encouragement, but you're there to listen. Sometimes you may be there for correction to, to say, hey, what you're doing is wrong. You can't go down this path. But sometimes it may be just to be there. Again, we're talking about rescue, saving. So what is the definition of rescue? Well, when you, when you look it up for rescue, it says to save, redeem, or deliver. And isn't that what Jesus did for us? He redeemed us. He saved us and rescued us from our sin. But even though he did that, it still requires us coming to him and, and coming in a, it's unfortunate. Sometimes we come in a broken spirit. Sometimes we don't feel like we are capable. And that's where we do have those brothers that can bring you to that point to bring you to Christ, but they can't save you. This is that point that you have to ask Jesus for that salvation. And sometimes you may be that person that is rescuing somebody else and you can take them and bring them to that point, but you cannot say that prayer for them. That's where they're going to have to say that prayer for salvation or ask for forgiveness or whatever the situation. And in looking at this, when you look at the different translations in different Bibles, when you, when you read the new King James version, it talks about in verses of being called Jesus being called or talking about the deliverer or deliver. Whereas in the new living Testament, it says rescue. And it says this in Galatians one, four, it said who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and father. But in the new King James, it says that he might deliver or that he might. And it's in the new living Testament that it actually, instead of saying deliver, will say rescue. Also in First Corinthians chapter one, verse verses eight through ten, it says, "For we do not want to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia. For we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raised the dead, who delivered us from so great a death." And does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. And again, it's in that New King James, it's saying deliver. But it, if you look at it and put it New Living Testament, it's going to say rescue. And he still will re- rescue you. And isn't that just like Christ, that he will be there to rescue you? In Matthew 6 is the Lord's Prayer. And in verse 13 of the Lord's Prayer it says, he, and this is Jesus telling the disciples when they pray to their father, when they're praying to God to say this part. And it says in verse 13, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Again, in the New Living Testament is saying, rescue us from the evil one. And that's where we have to be. We have to be willing and understanding of leading those to be rescued or ourselves being rescued. And then finally, in John 15, verse 13, it says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Now, a lot of times on the fire department, this is one of the scriptures that is quoted quite a bit because, again, of what we do, what we do to put our lives on the line of rescuing, not just 
complete strangers during a situation, but even our fellow brothers and sisters that are on the job that we're willing to lay down our life to rescue someone. But at the same time, shouldn't we be willing to do that for a brother and sister that is facing a situation in their life, whether it's that, that brother, that friend, that brother or sister, that man or woman that you see it could be a husband, a wife, a brother, a sister, a father, a mother, anybody that you see that is going down a path that is destructive. They may be dealing with an issue with alcoholism or drugs. Uh, they may have been caught up in an adulterous affair that's destroying their family and their marriage. And you see this going on instead of just incurring, you know, turning a, a blind eye to the situation, you try to intervene and help not so much solve the problem, but lead them to the right person to get the help they need. And that's what we should be doing. We should lead our brother and sister or whoever this is to the ones we know, not just for the physical healings, but for that spiritual healing that no, we're not going to give them the salvation they need, but that we can lead them to Christ who can save their soul, who can forgive their sins and bring them to that healing and bring them to a life of joy and salvation. Now, one of the big, now one of the big things when, if you've ever watched the movie backdraft and, and I know it's it's with language and some other stuff, but for the better edited version. But there was always a saying that they said, you know, that Bull would say at the early part of the movie. And then at the end with his brother was even saying it. You hear this phrase and we kind of joke about it in the firehouse at times of you go, we go. We are going together. If there is a situation, we're going to stick together. And again, we've said that it's that sticking together closer than a brother, that those situations may arise and we have to stick with our brother and sister that is facing this time and be able to comfort them, give them words of encouragement. Sometimes we may have to, and sometimes you may have to bring that word of correction, but it's out of love and care and compassion because you don't want to see them be lost forever into eternity and you want to see them restored whether it's in a marriage see that marriage restored see healing in recovery from drugs or alcohol or any addiction to see a relationship restored with a child or a sibling or even with their parents but most of all, to see that healing and restoration in their spirit, to know that they have found that comfort in Christ and not just for us. And to be able to, whether it's you leading somebody or somebody helping you reach that goal. And that's what the purpose of this is, is going back. Do you have this rapid intervention team in your life? Or are you a part of one for somebody else that when you see that brother or sister 
that friend that is going through those difficult times that you can be able to step in and rescue them. And that's my goal is for you to be able to see that and be able to recognize when a brother is in need. Because as we go back to Genesis 14, 14, to have, we may not have 318 men to call on, but even if you had, as we saw the the one in the story, the paralyzed man, he had four friends that were willing to risk everything to get him to Christ. And that's the thing that you need to look at. And even myself is, do I have, and do you have, are you surrounded by this band of brothers? Kind of like what firefighters are. It's that band of brother, that brotherhood that we look at. Are, are we willing to risk our lives? We're willing to risk, most of the time, most firefighters are willing to risk their lives to save a complete stranger. But yet when they see a brother or a sister on the job that is dealing with a divorce, a separation, an alcohol problem, a drug addiction, uh, stress, depression, PTSD, whatever it may be, we will almost tend to turn a blind eye. Even when we recognize it, we don't, well, we don't want to be in their business. We don't want to get involved. But that's when we need to be most involved. And I'm not just talking specifically to firefighters, but that's in any, any part of our life, in anybody's life that is close to us. We need to be willing to step out and be a part of that intervention team. So I want to thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the 318 Project. And I want you to remember that we have brothers and sisters and you may be having, you may be that brother that is facing issues and don't know where to turn to. And, and you need to look for a brother to turn to. You may have questions. And if you do, I would love to be able to help you. I always encourage people that you go to your pastor, go to those, you know, that are trained counselors that can help you. But if you ever have questions or comments, you can email me at rhair318 at gmail.com. But also, if you want to, you can like and subscribe these podcasts. And if you have any comments, leave a comment. And again, I hope you have a blessed and wonderful day. Thank you for joining on this adventure of integrity and honor in godly masculinity. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with other men. And remember to keep building faithful men.